Hello all Beard Inside listeners. Here's one of our backlog of our episodes recorded for the YouTube channel, as we are on a hiatus at the moment. This is episode 67 of the YouTube show, which was originally released on March 5th, 2021. If you enjoyed the episode or the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, the brand new TrendingTopicsNetwork.com, or most other listening avenues for this podcast. We also kindly ask that you rate, review, subscribe, and leave comments to wherever you are getting this wonderful sound. Please enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All Beer Inside Quarantine Editions of the episode. Joining me this evening, we have author, blogger, teacher, and podcast host, Jordan St. John. Hi there. Good to be anywhere. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much for taking time out of what I can only assume is an extremely busy schedule to speak with me today. Um, It's kind of a weird one in the sense that uh, we're... I teach at George Brown College, and we're trying to put all the classes online. And I'm in charge of the beer certificate, which means I've been transitioning material from in-person to online. And then we have to film things. And at the beginning of this process, the, the second and third classes, the one that's grained to glass, where we learn where all the flavors come from, off flavors, that stuff, and the beer and food pairing course. Uh, at the beginning of January, I had a little third-party COVID scare. There was somebody who's like a friend of a friend had COVID and they were out walking in a socially distanced manner. So they had to be tested and I had to call the school and bump filming a week because there was no way we were going to get a test back in time to, for Friday when we were going to do the thing. Yeah. That was, that sucked. And it was just like, all right, I'm going to stay in my apartment six days a week, except for Fridays where I'm going to take an Uber to the school <laughs> and we're going to get this thing done. On time, under budget. It's going to work out. Uh, so it's been very focused, but it's like, at the same time, uh, I played a lot of Dragon Age Inquisition. It was very boring. Oh, hey, you got some free time to do some stuff, and that's that's what really matters in all of it. Uh, now, uh, like I mentioned pre-show, we normally share a virtual beer. However, you're taking the night off beer, which is completely understandable. You know, every, We all take our nights off. Uh, so you're enjoying a lovely green tea. Yeah, it's not even a good green tea. Okay. Uh, I could really have gotten like better tea to show some deference to the program. <laughs> but uh, it is uh, Tetley green tea. Oh, okay. So it's, it's on sale. <laughs> so one, one of the big guys. Uh, I have, unfortunately, from our Toronto episodes, my last Toronto beer from Godspeed, Taruni. It's a um, 8.8% barrel aged imperial stout. Uh, first time I've ever had it, and I understand the guy from Godspeed was actually originally a Montrealer, which is awesome to hear. So, oh yeah, he was like I think he did a lot of recipe development due to CL back in the day. Ah, very. He good. might be responsible for Peche Mortel, although don't tell uh, JF I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay, well we can still do a virtual toast, even though you're uh, enjoying some tea. So a toast. Mm, you can really taste the cheapness. Mm, lovely. The cheap green taste. Yes. I, I mean, just from the sound of it, you, you do have a slightly higher, higher elevated taste buds than I do, where I'm just like, it tastes like chocolate and coffee, where you probably can pick the bean from a certain region and things like that. I don't know about that, but I mean, we did. Uh, I, I worked last year very briefly for an AI company called Taste Guru. And what we ended up doing was, I guess maybe it was two years ago now. Time's kind of in flux, you know how it is. Um, we tasted 500 beers blind in order to put together like an algorithm so you could recommend beer to people. And I got to the point where I realized that I was tasting 
100% barley beers versus barley and rice, barley and corn with 100% accuracy. Wow. I picked Radeberger Pilsner out of a 500 beer lineup for God's sake. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, um, I think it, it, more practice makes perfect, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, as I ask everyone, um, I already read the About Us, but for my viewers, uh, where did the beer journey all begin? Ah, well, I was working for a publishing company on uh, Dundonald Street in Toronto. That's a really good publishing company. They do labor law stuff. They are still extant. Like they're uh, headed up by a guy who's a fabulous lawyer. And uh, I hate to say it, but not a great publisher. I think in life you only get so many gifts. And over time, what happened, I mean, it was a, because it's a labor law publishing company, it's a union shop, uh, despite the fact it probably didn't need to be one. Um, so people kept leaving and through attrition. I was like the lowest man on the totem pole. And I was doing all of the basic administrative work. Okay. <laughs> like I was doing managerial level reporting and stuff. I was making not very much money and I was very unhappy about it. And uh, down the street from there is Bar Volo, which was the best beer bar in Toronto. So it was about 2006 or seven. And I started spending more and more time at the bar after work than I uh, spent at the office. Now things kind of snowballed. Uh, at the same time, Niagara College was starting to think about opening. So I thought, you know, maybe I could pitch this in. I'm only 27. I don't have to do this for a living. I could go be a brewer. I wanted to get into brewing school. The first year, there were like 500 applicants. The second year, there were 1,000. Yeah. So I thought, I need something in a portfolio that will allow me to get into brewing school. So I decided to start a blog. Uh, by the time I'd been writing about beer for six months, I was the national beer columnist for Sun Media. Because uh, I had an English degree and I could write a little. But, uh, you know, I got into brewing school after that. And then suddenly you've got like a national beer critic attending brewing school with brewers. It's weird. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I didn't quite make it through there. The uh, head of the brewing school at Niagara said, you like to write books. I, I like to write a book. He said, go away. Uh, he didn't actually say go away. But <laughs> <laughs> go and write this thing. Um, which I did. And uh, I've written about five books since then. I've got a blog uh, called St. John's Word which I continue to update despite the fact that I think that nobody actually reads anything anymore. Um, we've got a podcast, the Ontario Craft Beer Guide, the podcast. Uh, it's very popular. I get to be on television periodically, uh, which is always entertaining. I think I won uh, The Agenda with Steve Bacon, which is not a show you're supposed to be able to win. It's not a game show, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's all been really interesting. Uh, eventually, I drank so much beer they gave me a school of my own. So that's something. Very cool. Yeah. I remember looking when I first started getting to craft beer, because when, when I start something new, it's, you know, go balls to the wall, do it all. I'm like, oh, I love craft beer. It's fantastic. I'm going to become a brewer. There's an English school in Niagara. Cool. Two-year waiting list. Nope. <laughs> so It's quite difficult. I mean, the thing about it being uh, very trendy there for a while was that, you know, people really did want to be in craft beer. Uh, you had a lot of pent-up demand, and a lot of the people who went to Niagara College the first three or four years were sort of not quite middle-aged, but getting on for it. They'd been in careers they didn't like and they were ready to make a change. And that uh, produced some really good brewers initially. And I think, you know, when you get down to people who are mm, 23 or four, they don't have enough context to be really good brewers yet, but they can certainly be really good in the brewing industry. You know, you need a certain amount of agency before you can uh, pull it off by yourself. 
now you mentioned your podcast, the Ontario Craft uh, Beer Guide Podcast. Your chemistry yeah. with Robin on that show is fantastic, I got to say. Well, we've been hanging around together for about uh, six or seven years at this point. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, we share basically the same sense of humor. We watched all the same English comedies on YTV growing up. And a lot of it is basically we're just trying to be Rick Mayall and Adrian Edmondson from The Young Ones. Like, we, we have this thing where we talk about comedy duos, and we can never decide which one of us is the straight man and which one of us is the, the funny one. And it kind of goes back and forth. It works really well that way. But, it, I mean, it does all come from an understanding that we're doing a bit. Like, inevitably, it's not just going to be um, boring, like, news reading or whatever. Yeah. Even when we're interviewing other people, we tend to you know work at it pretty hard yeah no it's, it's fantastic it's a great great listen uh personally uh, i only just recently started listening but i do really very much enjoy it so it's a it's a fun little throw in between the actual like i listen to like the full-on crazy comedy podcasts and then movie comedy podcasts and now it's a beer comedy podcast because oh sure just sitting at home working all day in the in a patient support industry it's like i need to laugh about some stuff and and podcasts are the way to go so i find the really weird thing about it is that between the two of us we're actually extremely knowledgeable about like a wide variety of subjects that almost never come up uh <laughs> i mean I, I think as a writer in ontario i might be the only person who pays any attention to excise or how the market actually works or legalities you know on a continuous basis so there's all this like subtext and there's all this horsepower under the hood but mostly people are interested in the horn that goes, you know, plays. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Or, or the big air horn from a truck or train, you know, that. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's a clown car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hey, as long as you're having fun, that's, that's pretty much the, the creation behind this show is to have fun, meet new people and beer. Um, the quarantine edition of the episodes were an eventuality where I would be out in Toronto. I would meet Ed and Miyoshi and yourself and other, you know, people involved in beer in the area outside of just interviewing breweries, but the pandemic's decided, Hey, you're going to stay home for at least a year and talk to people online. So. It's a really weird one, man. Like the, uh, I've actually gotten to know Ed and Yoshi better since lockdown started. Uh, the problem is, if you go to a beer festival and you're in my position, you're trying to constantly, you know, mingle and talk to people and network and all that stuff. And it, it is actually work, despite the fact you end up six pints deep at the end of it. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd keep running into Ed and Yoshi at uh, festivals. I never really get to talk to them very much. I think I got to talk to them at the, uh, whatever one was at the uh, CNE grounds last year. And they're great people. Uh, I didn't know them terribly well. And I, I felt bad about that, mostly due to the fact that, like, you know, you always mean to get to know people. But sometimes it's difficult to do that. So I took some beer down to them, and we had a nice time drinking a very nice beer in a park, which you can do in Toronto now. I mean, in Montreal, it's always been a thing, but now it's, yeah. Do you remember how you discovered craft beer? Well, it's, it's weird. Like both of the experiences I had were about the same time. And it sort of depends what you mean by craft. I mean, I'm not sure that I believe in, in craft beer as a thing. At this point, I, I'm just kind of about the beer industry. Okay. Let, let's say your first beer out of BMC, like past Bud Molson Coors. What was your first kind of like a steam whistle? Because since you're in Toronto, I automatically just assume steam whistle or Great Lakes because those are your two big ones out there. Like, Well, it, it's a reasonable uh, assumption. But it's, it's uh, 
oddly wrong due to the fact that I didn't spend my formative years in Toronto. Oh, okay. Uh, like I went to high school here, but uh, about halfway through high school, my mom moved to Kingston. And when they did that, I ended up going to the uh, Kingston Brewing Company with them for dinner. And because I was always this size, more or less, uh, you know, nobody carded me. <laughs> so I uh, Dragon's Breath Pale Ale at about 17. And that was really different. I mean, like I'd probably had Labatt Blue and like mom had been homebrewing during the early 90s homebrew craze. Uh, you know, not really homebrewing, like the brew on premise stuff. Mm -hmm. So they did that. So I was used to like check Pilsner by 1994, I guess it would have been 14. It's weird. I have the memory of these uh, Midtown Toronto brew pups that fell out of the market around 1995 or six. Because I remember going there to play pinball. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, probably Dragon's Breath Pale Ale. At the same time, uh, in 1996, the Oland Beer Company, it's like a Labatt branch that dealt with um, all the Belgian imports that Labatt had. So in Kingston, they have a bar called uh, Monty's currently. It's in the old speckled hen in like the hotel downtown. And they had the, the full install, like the entire uh, Belgian beer setup. So they had Stella Artois, Lefebvre Brune, Lefebvre Blonde, uh, probably Bellevue Creek, Pooh Garden. There might have been one or two others. And, you know, you go in there and you see people serving beer properly in proper glassware, treating it correctly. And that's directly across the street from the brewing company. So there's this, like, little nexus of stuff happening in Kingston. When I got to university in uh, New Brunswick, uh, eventually I settled on Propeller ESB from Halifax because it was the best thing at the local pub. At the campus pub, the best beer was Moosehead Dry, which was $5.50 a pitcher. Uh, you would show up during happy hour, you would buy three pitchers, and you'd sit there for the rest of the evening drinking Moosehead Dry. Yeah. Sometimes literally. Sometimes they would run out of beer. <laughs> yeah, that, that was me, like, early on, um, just going to, to the bars, and it's like, oh, here's a coupon for an $8 pitcher on a Thursday. I'm like, okay, oh, my class is done at 2, time to go, go start drinking all night, so. That's, Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, what else are you going to do? Yep, no, especially, you know, going to school downtown Montreal, the options are almost endless, so. It was, I assume, uh, based on the vintage you're talking about, the Peel Pub would have been a thing. Uh, Peel Pub, Mad Hatters. Um, my first craft beer that I remember was Brutopia. Uh, they're, well, where the new Mad Hatters is, because I went through four generations of different Mad Hatters buildings. Uh, but then I ended up at Brutopia one night and I'm like, hey, this beer has flavor. And somebody's like, here, try this nut brown ale. I'm like, being an immature teenager, well, teenager, uh, adult teenager, I'm like, hey, nut brown. <laughs> Drink it. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. So it continued from there. And then we have the Mondial de la Bière here in uh, Quebec or Montreal, yeah. I should say. So that just, it's an expensive three days for me when I go, but it's, it's totally, you know, it's. The, Mon the Mondial, I think I went 2008 through 2010, and it was great, uh, yeah. you know, because you got to see all this different stuff that was just coming into Ontario. I think we had Charlevoix in the market at one point. Uh, Fred and Caroline, they're great. And uh, Hopfenstark? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, is it Fred there as well? Or the yeah, it's, it's Fred. Yeah, he, he, uh, he was one of our early interviews. I think like episode five or six, we interviewed Hopfenstark, so. Yeah, I mean, that dude's a musketeer. He just bounces around. He's great. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a great. Uh, I mean, our craft beer, 
our craft beer scene has just been expanding like yours in Ontario. I don't, you know, we, we each had one that made the top 10 list of like the best new breweries, one in Quebec, one in Ontario that opened during the pandemic. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's not surprising. I mean, like the Ontario and Quebec and British Columbia markets specifically are, are pretty much getting towards world class. I'm surprised that we don't get a lot more coverage from America, but I'm trying to work on that a little bit. Yeah, well, I heard you mention BrewDog, and, you know, if we could get past BrewDog, that'd be great, so. Oh, at one point, they were going to open a brew pub in Toronto. I think it was like King Street and River or something, like just over by the Don there. And it wouldn't have had foot traffic. It would have been north of the distillery district. I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but I'm glad they didn't do it because, I mean, what am I going to have to pretend to care about BrewDog? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not wrong if I ever have the chance to go out because there's usually a big uh, rock and roll festival out there once a year uh, at their soccer stadium that's near the BrewDog Hotel. So I'm not going to lie. If I'm going to sleep in a brewery, I'm totally going to do it. So, Oh, sure. Yeah. Like if you want to visit the brewery hotel, that's kind of a fun concept to try out, you know, once. Um, I feel like the novelty might wear off on it. You know? uh, so you're an author as well. Uh, what are some of the books you've written? Well, uh when I started from brewing school, I wrote a book called How to Make Your Own Brewskis, the Go-To Guide for Craft Brewer Enthusiasts. We didn't get to choose the title on that one. Uh, I think in England, it's just How to Make Your Own Beer, which is much better. Uh, the great thing about that is that I do have a book in the British Library, technically. So I'm quite Sweet. pleased with that. Um, I wrote that with Mark Murphy from Left Field in Toronto, over by Godspeed, next to where that came from. Um, Let's see. After that, wrote a book with Alan McLeod from Kingston, Ontario, called uh, Ontario Beer. Uh, there was a period there where we didn't have a lot of material about the history of brewing in Ontario, so did a lot of research for that. Kind of went a little crazy with it. Um, had a lot of leftover material about Toronto that didn't fit. And one of the things that happens if you start writing a history book or if you have anything interesting to say on a blog about history is people begin to ask the question, uh, didn't there used to be a brewery just over there? And I wrote Lost Breweries of Toronto, uh, basically to ensure that nobody would ask me those questions anymore. <laughs> uh, here's your answer, 2195, please. Um, and then subsequently what I realized is that, you know, it got nominated for a Heritage Toronto Award. And uh, Toronto Urban Adventure is a local tourism company based a walking tour on it. And one year they said to me, hey man, do you wanna host this walking tour? And I said, Yes, because, you know, money is good. Um, and then basically I ended up telling people where breweries were for a living. So that was kind of an own goal. Um, two editions of the Ontario Craft Beer Guide. That's a really weird one. It couldn't work now because you'd need more personnel than we have. It's not a massively profitable book to write because there's travel involved and there's expenses. And I mean, it was sort of break even, but it got us to the point where we were um, kind of de facto experts about beer in Ontario, which is neat. I mean, it's it's kind of cool. If you're going to be the town drunk, you might as well choose an entire problem. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, do you have any association with the Growler, or are they... I'm actually the Lutheran's editor for the Growler? Oh, cool. Yeah, one of the things I, I do, uh, we had um, a couple of websites in Ontario that kind of helped keep track of everything. Like they had uh, maps of different uh, breweries in the province. And, uh, you know, both of the guys who did that, they were drummed out of the industry for bad behavior. Uh, as happens periodically in an industry where there's alcohol, 
Uh, one of them was abusive to a woman, and the other one was, uh, well, very racist in a. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, both of those guys faded away, and I decided that you know we can't really allow the industry to fly by the seat of its pants. So I picked up the uh, data using Google Maps and just uh, put it on my website. And eventually, what happened is that uh, my data was more accurate than everybody else's data, including like the craft brewers organization and uh, the Ministry of Finance, who are now using my data for some reason. I don't quite understand it. Wish they'd pay me a little money for it, but uh, in the meantime, I think we're keeping the thing afloat. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love the Ontario Brewery Map. I'd love one in Quebec. We have the AMBQ, Association Microbrasseur du Québec. Uh, so we have that, but it's not, it's nowhere near up to date as, as yours is like the last time I checked, it was December 2020. Yeah, December 27th. I just updated the spreadsheet. So I've got to filter it through a couple of things and then it'll be updated again. Yeah, it's, that's... It's, you know, it's not very much work once you got it ready. Uh, the, the hard part is getting all the information in the first place. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And and I I have family in in Kitchener in London, so I will be when I go visit them when it's safe to again. I will be using that for my daily beer tour or daily my weekend beer tours, where I'm going to drag my brother-in-law out, my father, who I've gotten into craft beer, and they're going to be like, "Where'd you find this place, Jordan St. John?" <laughs> so. Oh, wait until you get to Cambridge, man. There, there's been like seven or eight breweries in Cambridge now. Yeah, my sister used to live in Cambridge. I was lucky enough to get to Jackass, uh, Great Lakes before it closed. Not Great Lakes, Grand River. I don't oh, know yeah. why. Yeah, uh, Grand River before it closed. So I'm thankful I was able to go there. Uh, there was River, a... That's a shame, man, because they had some really lovely English-style beers about a decade ago. Yeah. And they got talked out of doing that, and they started making bad generic craft beer. And it was a sad thing because I really liked the guy who owned it, uh, Bob Hannenberg. He was like 73 or something, and he had his pelvis broken by a horse kicking him. He was a farrier by trade, so he would shoe horses for a living and then go to a craft brewery. A lot of hard work. But, I mean, he basically walked off a broken pelvis. Uh, imagine, you know, That's shaking crazy. hands with him was like shaking hands with a concrete statue. Was, uh, <laughs> Oh man, yeah. The last time I was there, they were they had like some sort of party, but they were trying experimental sours, and like one of them was okay. Uh, their lager though was solid, so I'm like, okay, well, if your lager's solid, you're gonna get my money because I love drinking a good lager when I'm in the mood for it. So mm-hmm. that's uh, it's unfortunate. And uh, let's see, uh, I've been able to get to Barn Cat uh, Renaissance just recently opened, so I haven't been able to go there yet, or I should say get my family to ship me beer from there, but shipping beer in Quebec is, to Canada, Quebec is not allowed if you're personal, so. This is not. Uh, it's it's kind of frowned upon. I People should still probably ship that beer to Pavarna took then. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, I've spoken with Earshot from Craft Tap. I don't know if you're aware of their services. They have kind of, they ship beer across Canada with the help of, of breweries. Okay. So they're they're pretty they're pretty helpful with uh, if I want a BC beer or an Alberta beer, I could just get it shipped to my house. So it's it's pretty helpful. It's just because of COVID, Canada Post won't be like here. You have to sign this because you're 18. It's oh, it's at the post office. Go and get it. And I'm like, but I have to leave my house and I don't want to. Yeah. If there's one thing the pandemic has taught us, it's that nobody wants to put on pants. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, a friend of ours mentioned he bought 14 pairs of jogging pants a couple of weeks ago because he doesn't expect this to end anytime soon. I'm like, September, just be quiet, at least September. So. I have a lot of gym shorts myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, I know you've done a bunch of collabs. Which are, are some collabs that, that you've done that, that you're, you know, you'd like to mention out there? Well, the, the most interesting one at the moment is actually sitting, I think, in a fermenter in East York. Muddy York uh, Brewing, they do one uh, based on the Lost Breweries of Toronto book. We had um, a brewer in the 1830s who kept a really coherent diary. Like he wrote down a lot of detail, including the uh, make of the measurement tools that he was using. He actually went to London on vacation once and kept writing the diary while he was there. And he talked about going to the manufacturers to see if they had an updated model. So we even know what model he was using. So we were able to like recreate based on information about the brewery and the farm around it, uh, sort of a 9% old ale. So we've got that aging in a port barrel, I believe. Uh, should be ready for this Christmas. Uh, it was on the CBC last year. It was pretty cool. I mean, anytime a national broadcaster decides that they want to pay attention to you, that's a neat thing. You hit some kind of note. In addition to that, though, I mean, like we did uh, one with Amsterdam. It's a recreation Bach from 1897 in Toronto. Uh, we had uh, Salvador Brewing. And I think there was one of those in uh, Montreal as well. It was uh, actually Reinhardt is the name of the brewery. So the father was in Toronto and he set up his sons in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, he was an apprentice brewer at Palaner, having gone to uh, brewing school in Germany. So he probably came over here with a license to brew Polaner Salvatore in Toronto. So that was like a seasonal beer that they were making. And we knew what malt he was using from advertisements in the newspapers, so we put that together. That was cool. Um, I think the neatest one I ever did from a like reputational standpoint, uh, I had been reading at about this time of winter, actually, uh, the Oryx and Crake novels by Margaret Atwood. And I thought to myself, you know, in a post-apocalyptic situation like the one we're in now, um, what skills do you actually have? Well, I can turn sugar into alcohol. Like, I know how to make beer. And I asked myself at the end of that book, what kind of beer would you make? I mean, you don't have hops. You've got fermentable material. It'd be like a Gruet. So I only knew one brewery that made Gruet. So I got in touch with Steve Beauchene at Bose and said, hey, man, do you want to uh, make a Gruet with Margaret Atwood? And he said, yeah. Do you have Margaret Atwood? And I was like, no. <laughs> so I emailed Margaret Atwood's publish list and I said, you know, we'd really like to make a beer based on the Orcs and Craig books. And I kind of explained the situation and it took about 10 minutes before we got an answer on that one. And she actually did most of the heavy lifting. I think she had to design the recipe. I just made the thing happen. But she was like choosing ingredients for a Gruet. It was really cool. Yeah, no, very, very cool sounding. I actually, uh, myself and my friends, we we kind of have a monthly get together where we talk beer, BS and stuff. And I we I said, like, I asked my friends, like, uh, one's a salesman, one's an IT guy, one's a video game developer. I'm in, uh, I generally customer service and that kind of stuff. So it's like, where do you see things going? And uh, mine was, I see new uh, old becoming new again. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, people are going to discover recipes from like the 1800s and before and let's brew this beer. So the fact that I'm hearing this, I'm like, I feel a little vindicated. <laughs> so. Somewhat. I mean, 
the, one of the real problems that you have at this point is that everybody's trying to make the killer app IPA, like they're just switching out hop varieties and iteratively brewing the same thing over and over again. It's like a Bach fugue or something. You know, you can change it ever so slightly, but it's still just somebody fiddling around on an organ. Uh, <laughs> that's a little bit dismissive of one of the greatest <laughs> of all time. But um, you take the point. You know, you can only pull out so many different stops and combine so many things. I think that, you know, people are looking for variety in terms of flavor. I think that the uh, fruit puree beers are going to prove to be a little bit infantilizing. They're going to get boring over time. Because you can only drink the blueberry thing so many times before you want a different flavor. That's why they have, you know, different popsicles. Yeah. Um, you can only drink the hazy IPA so many times before you get bored of it. Because the flavors aren't that distinct. So, you know, if you have the ability to sell something that means something, like the, the sizzle is as important as the actual steak. I think, ooh, this is what this used to be like. Here's the story of this brewery. It's very similar to what we have now, but like it's slightly different. That's fun. People like that. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a variety as a spice of life type guy. You know, um, whenever I go to a brew pub or a brewery, it's if they have a lager, that's the first thing because I know that is a pain to make. That is difficult. If that is good, then the rest should be pretty good or better. So it's uh, that's, that's, that's something I learned, so. I mean, it, it's true as well. I, the, the breweries that I respect the most at this point are the ones who are playing around with lager styles. Um, it's one thing to make an IPA by switching out the hops. It's quite another thing to make like a new take on a Keller beer or something, switching in a new world hop or switching in a new like Alsatian or German Huel kind of hop. I like that stuff a lot. Um, Amsterdam and Toronto, for whatever reason, uh, they seem to have a real focus on this kind of thing. So they had uh, like a brilliant Oktoberfest Maritzen and they had a Rauch beer, but they also had a, honestly, they were using Triscoll or something like that. One of those Alsatian hops that's a little bit floral and a little bit mm -hmm. spicy. Um, just really neat. You know, I, I like um, when people see ingredients and they don't immediately think of the most obvious thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how many times do you see a Zwickel style? You know, it's... Well, I mean, exactly. But, you know, if you have people... And this was a problem we had. Like, we've got a little nascent hops industry. I imagine that uh, there are hop growers in Quebec as well. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I know there are. Um, but, you know, you give hops to a brewer, they think IPA. And you don't have to think IPA. You can think to yourself... Ooh, this Sabro hop, which has a little bit of coconut character, that could go really well in a brown ale or possibly, you know, you could make a tropical stout with that. Or here's a lager that tastes a little bit like coconut. I mean, that's not a great plan, but it could be done. Yeah, for sure. That's that's something I'm seeing a lot out of Trillium in the uh, in the Boston, well, Boston area is uh, we had a friend bring back the raspberry gato. I'm like, oh, you know, another pastry stout. I'm like, this is the best pastry stout I've ever tasted. So... Mm -hmm. It's uh, it blows my mind what these guys, what really dedicated guys who want to go past the IPAs can do. It really blows my mind when there's time and commitment and like this is the beer that's coming out. Oh, it's not perfect. Dump it. Um, I play volleyball with a guy who works for Labatt, and he's like, "How do these craft beer guys dump a bad batch?" I'm like, "It's simple. They have to, because if they release a bad batch, that sullies their name. It's gonna possibly ruin them." So. Well, it's certainly true of Trillium. I think if you're in the sort of mid-tier craft brewers, you could probably sneak one through. 
But I mean, do you get that that FOMO for the real big releases in the states? I mean, Trillium, Other Half, like Hill Farmstead. Uh, I don't get FOMO. Would I like to try them? Yeah. Am I going to go out of my way and beg somebody to ship me one? No. Uh, you know, I've never tried Pliny, and everybody's like, Pliny is the best, like the best IPA out there. And I'm like, I can wait, honestly. So it's it's very good, but it wasn't even the best IPA on tap when I had it. You know, uh, um, as but I don't think you can get that anymore. So you're going to have to take my word for it. Yeah. As a, as a pro wrestling fan, it's like, oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin came out with a beer. I'm like, okay, I got to try that at some point. And uh, myself yeah. and, and a co-podcaster, we went down to Cleveland to visit another podcaster, ironically enough. And he's like, yo, I've got the Stone Cold beer. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, and you know, it's a crushable. Stone Cold El Segundo. Bro, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's a crushable 6.7%. I had a, I went down to Jersey before the world shut down last year. I uh, watched some football and I'm like, oh, let's drink some Stone Cold beer before going to watch Green Bay defeat the Giants. So that's, uh, it's what it is. So. Absolutely. Man. Yeah. No, it's great, and I love it. Uh, so, do you do you currently homebrew, or have you homebrewed in the past? I did for a while. I was not great at it. I mean, I think I I won a silver medal in one competition, and I kind of gave up because I could I'd like I got friendly with Mike Lackey at Great Lakes in Toronto, and we just started brewing stuff on the uh, pilot system over there. And as that went along, I mean, you know, we did a lot of other contract sort of collab kind of stuff. Not contract, just collabs. I don't think I've ever actually made any money off of beer, which is an important distinction. Um, you know, as a critic, if you were going to be writing for a newspaper, you probably don't want to have a dog in the fight. Like from an ethical standpoint, it's not great. But uh, a lot of the time lately, what I'm trying to do is like find some kind of charitable angle or something. It doesn't always work out. Yeah, uh, well, on your most recent episode of your podcast, I, I completely, the name like blanked because I was reading something for work, but then it's like, oh, this is to support the indigenous women's community. And I'm like, yes. oh my God. And uh, our second ever interview was Kahnawake Brewing. Kahnawake is one of the first breweries on native land in Canada. So I'm like, oh, I should tell him about that. And I'm like, it was read something. I don't remember the name. So what was that called? It's a good question. Oh. I don't have a press release in front of me. Okay. But I, I think the idea is that it's a red dress. Okay. So um, the, the concept is that brewers make a red beer of any kind, and they basically donate some of the proceeds to an Indigenous women's charity, and they use the Instagram uh, Indigenous Brew Crew logo for that. Nice logo, really well designed. Mm. Um, it, it's good in the sense that you know, things don't change unless you keep constant pressure on them. And like, I think that the, especially with the uh, disappearance and murders of indigenous women, it's obviously something that's been going on for a very long time. It almost never gets talked about. So the more light you can put on that, the better. And like, I like the fact that there's no time limit on it. I think it starts March 21st, but I mean, it gives brewers license to play around with something. There aren't a huge number of red styles of beer out there. So there's like, not only does it do good, but it also promotes stylistic diversity, which is something we badly need. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, saw a brewery the other day with six IPAs. Well, now they're going to have a red IPA. So. Uh, okay. So I know you're in the GTA area. Um I'm realistic. I've been to Toronto a bunch of times. So let's say I got some friends visiting from, let's say, Cleveland. I have some some friends, and they come up to Toronto, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna speak with Jordan, and he's gonna give me five like 
best places you get hit? What are like the five best places in Toronto you highly suggest? Oh, wow. I mean, it's like, how do you go with that? Is that going to be based on reputation? Is it going to be based on ambience? Is it going to be based on like style? I say, you know, your favorite beers out of there. Now I know like G- GLB's Etobicoke, which is a little outside the GTA, but uh, everybody pretty much I speak to out of Toronto says left field. Yeah. So. Left field's great. I mean, in addition to being real good people, I think they announced today that their employees are all getting a living wage. So, you know, that's really good. Mm-hmm. I think they're at 2208 an hour or something like that. That's nice. Um, they also make really good beer. Like I wrote a book with Mark, so I, you know, I'm obligated to say left field, but it, it really is like a fantastic choice in the sense that they're usually early adopters for styles. So they got interesting stuff. They had uh, Glorioso Italian Pilsner like a year before the market got Italian Pilsner. And they were double dry hopping stuff pretty early on in the going there. So there's a lot of good beer that they make. Ephus, just the regular brown ale is great. And the tap room is nice. I mean, it's dogs and babies and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, very family friendly. When they moved into the neighborhood, um, there were people across the street saying, oh, no, we can't have a brewery here. It'll bring the property value down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, between that and Pilot Coffee Roasters, you're basically in hipster heaven at this point. That's Mm -hmm. another 75,000. So they're great. If you're going to be at left field, you have to go to Godspeed. Uh, Godspeed is, I mean, Luke Lafontaine, um, he's a world-class brewer. He really is. He's making the best Czech pale lagers outside of Czechia. so that's a fantastic thing to know. I think Evan Rail, who's a brew write, beer writer in uh, the Czech Republic, told me that. And, you know, in addition to that, Luke is very humble and he's very heartfelt and he's very passionate about the thing. And the chances that you're going to see him there and actually get to talk to the brewmaster, like he is, that's who he is. He's there every day and he's doing it. And I like that a lot. Um, he once did a beer dinner at George Brown College that we were doing where, you know, the first three brewers in the East End, they got up to talk, and I think it was Dave Lee from Eastbound. Um, might have been Mark from Left Field and a couple other people. And uh, Luc Lafontaine, you know, he goes on last, and he's just found out that he's going to be a father, and he's been drinking a little bit too much for, you know, standing in front of people talking. But he just goes on this talk about how, <laughs> how wonderful, you know, just to see all these people and uh, we're just, i'm just sitting there like oh god he, uh, he's gonna cry <laughs> so the, the class i was teaching at the time a couple of my students had gone to that dinner they came in they were sort of women in their 50s uh and they came in the next week and they're just oh my god he's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> they were completely in love with him and it was marvelous to watch um so that's great i think uh if i would probably take people where i go most of the time, which is eastbound brewing. It's like Queen and Broadview. Uh, Dave Lee, who's the brewer there, he's getting really good with Belgian styles. He had a rye Saison that was just about as good as any Saison style beer that's been produced in Toronto. That was about a couple months ago. And he's got a really good Saison called Stone Skipper that he's using mosaic hops in. So you get this tropical Saison thing happening. It's really lovely. Um, A lot of his other stuff's great too. Had a good oatmeal coffee stout. Nothing, he's not reinventing the wheel, but it's all quality. And uh, Tara Lee, his wife, is the, the chef, and she is the best brew pub chef I've ever seen. 
like legitimately uh i go there because she has a thing on the menu called best beer snack and it's like six dollars it'll be like whatever she's managed to come up with with the scraps in the kitchen <laughs> like i think friday is fish and chips and they save the trimmings from the haddock that they use for fish and chips and they smoke it in-house and they make a smoked haddock dip and you get it with like butter crackers and house-made pickles and just like six dollars or something it's fantastic goes great with a dry saison you know um lovely room lovely people mm -hmm. everybody who worked there has been there since day one basically you never see that it's great yeah. um i'd talk about the granite probably the granite brewery is uh old school i think they were like 1989 they're a, an original peter austin alan pugsley ringwood yeast blood and the thunder english old ale brewery it's um i think that they're currently on pitch 1100 of their ringwood yeast yeah wow. it's impossible yeah. it's unkillable <laughs> it shouldn't be permissible <laughs> sorry i was doing robert palmer for some reason. <laughs> um, but uh, mary beth who took over from her dad about i want to say six or seven years ago she's doing great stuff i mean she finally got a closed fermenter in there in addition to the open ones that the uh, ringwood yeast needs and she's doing really decent New England style IPAs and she's got like the best English style beers probably in Ontario. And I mean, it's, it's a lot of stylistic variation for one person to think about, but she manages really well with it. And the food's good. I mean, they do, you know, curries. It's an English pub basically. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, finally, I guess like if they're people from Cleveland, you kind of want to take them to Great Lakes just to screw with them. <laughs> because <laughs> they got one down there too yeah. but we get that question a lot um from american tourists uh it turns out there's like a gentleman's agreement about the copyright because mm -hmm. i guess the one in cleveland never thought they were going to make it into canada anyway yeah yeah uh i don't know great lakes is a good brewery but it's not a great place to visit they got a little patio outside like everybody who works there if i were going to take somewhere to a fifth brewery I guess it would probably be Reinhard. Okay. Reinhard's out in the sort of the stockyards. Mm -hmm. The great thing about Reinhard is you're not really visiting one brewery, you're visiting like four. Yeah. Because in order to, there's Shacklands, which is like in the same building. And then there's the Junction Brewery, which is next door. And there's People's Pint, which is just down the street there. So there's like four breweries within a little walking distance. You could do an entire afternoon out there. And in fact, I have. <laughs> so, but Reinhardt, they did uh, a couple of really great things. They have a, a beer called Satanic Panic. That's their Imperial Stout. It came uh, with a, a glass you could special order. It was a one pound goblet <laughs> with like Satanic symbols on it. And, uh, holds about 11 ounces of beer, as I found out the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I've recently heard of uh, in Ni in the Niagara region, there's Brimstone, which does a lot of like God and devil imagery and stuff. So I'm like, oh, I love like hearing like, you know, rock on heavy metal. Let's let's go check these places out. So I never I know when I went to Reinhardt, I tried the Daywalker. So I'm like, ooh, it's about Blade. <laughs> and uh, I think I brought the Satanic Panic home. I can't remember. But the fact that they made like the monster goblet with, you know, the Enochian, I'm assuming writing, which is great well, to hear. I love that, but like so much of the stuff they do is really good. They had a triple IPA that I ordered this summer 
called TV Party. And I don't know how you dealt with the pandemic, but me personally, I periodically drank too much beer. Uh, and one day I, I had ordered from Reinhardt and I think I got like a four pack of their Pilsner and some Daywalker and a couple of cans of a triple IPA called TV Party. And I basically got through the entire order sitting on the balcony. And I didn't realize the TV party was 10% alcohol. Um, so it, it kicked my ass very, very severely. Mm -hmm. It was like actually having Henry Rollin come in and kick your ass. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I did that the other last last Friday of this recording. It's like, oh, a double IPA. Oh, another double IPA. Oh, a third on double IPA. I'm like, hey, I've had four double IPAs, uh, like 400, the 400 milliliter cans. I'm like, and it's been three hours. I'm drunk. I've been this drunk in a while. Fantastic. And just passed out. So, Yeah, it does a number on your alcohol tolerance, really. I mean, you're sitting indoors. You're not at a bar. Usually, if you're at a pub, like, you might have a couple of drinks that you're not thinking about because you're talking to people. Mm -hmm. But sitting uh, in your apartment, you're probably keeping an eye on how much you drink anyway, so you're drinking less. Uh, you are probably at the point where, you know, you might have three beers and it'll just, you know, nap time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, it, here's a stark comparison, because my 40th birthday in 2019 in June, which is great, because June in Montreal is, like, Ju June and July in Montreal is the place to be. Um, and I'm like, okay, 40th birthday, 40th, 40 tasters. And it was a whole day event. I started at two in the afternoon and uh, we closed down at uh, Benelux, which is one of the big ones here in Quebec, uh, in Montreal specifically. And it's like, oh, I did 41 tasters. Awesome. I'm, I'm buzzed, but I'm not drunk. And the fact that it took me four beers a couple of weeks ago to, to get drunk, I'm like, yeah, I, I need to get up and move around or even just playing pool or playing games with friends at a pub you 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 know you're probably just putting down like a five percent let's say esb or or something you know a sour you're not used to just drinking double ipas because the local place is like hey we made these crazy new ipas try them and i'm like okay well we only sell them in four packs so i guess i'll just deal with that and you drink them and then you're like hey i'm drunk so. oh we only sell them in four packs yeah. um like uh we have that in uh home delivery i mean you probably have that as well no no of course not no no because quebec kind of sucks for that kind of stuff the uh so the unfortunate reality when it comes to politics is the pro uh the political party that wants quebec to separate from canada is the only political party that will wants home delivery for the microbreweries mm. uh and uh i'm love montreal I'd love being Canadian eh, Quebec. So do me a favor. Wait until they're looking like they're going to vote in a PC prime minister. We'll just block, just go for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Ontario's uh, like 45 minutes away from me. If I have to, I'll just run across the border. So. Well, one of the, pre like, I think it was great lakes. They have things you can order only order eight cans. Like you can order a flat of beer, mm -hmm. but it had, the minimum number of cans of a particular version has to be eight. So it's yeah. like, I don't want eight double IPAs. <laughs> no, like people just send me stuff. Like I've been doing this long enough that beer turns up. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure I have beer showing up tomorrow and like later this week. And, you know, I think 14 beers showed up last Friday. It's just like a fact of life. Yeah. So if I want to try something, I need maybe two of them. 
-hmm. like one to cry and then one to photograph, you know? Um, eight, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah, uh, it, it is what it is. I, I, I mean, the fact that, you know, Ford stepped up and is like, hey, you guys could do this. And to my, from, from the rumblings I'm hearing from fellow uh, beer bloggers, Instagrammers, and, and, and everybody in Ontario is, it's going to be a permanent thing after this. Which, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've, uh, I've spoken with a couple of local brewers here and they've, they're saying that they're going to go up to the Quebec ministry and be like, Give, let us deliver. We're shutting down shop and, and we're leaving. We're going to Ontario. So. Well, I mean, if we get some uh, good Quebec breweries over here, that'd be just fine. Yeah, that would make me sad. Well, sad, but happy at the same time. So, Because then uh, I might as well just move out there so, <laughs> at that point. Um, okay, I, I, you know, I know we're under the pandemic and you know, uh, I'm not traveling anytime soon because I don't want to be in a cylindrical tube with recycled air for, for hours on end. Uh, but when there's a whole lot less pandemic, uh, what's a beercation you've never been on? Now, I've been adding this caveat where there's two options. One where money is very much a factor and one where money is not a factor whatsoever. Um, where money, like the budget holiday that I was actually thinking about last year was Mondial. Ah. Because I don't, you know, I, I was looking at Airbnbs in Montreal and I think you can get like a week's stay in a pretty nice place to yourself for about $300. So that's cool. Like I can with that and i haven't been to montreal in gosh it's gotta be like uh, 2011 maybe was the last time i went to mondial so there's got to be a lot of new stuff and there'd be people i know and like you know just going to judas yell and getting a pint of deus nocturne is probably a great choice um like hoffman started benelux but you know i've never been to unibrew i've never seen uh, mccausland mm -hmm. I, at the time that I was traveling over there, we didn't yet have Google Maps on phones. And that has made all the difference in terms of traveling. Like yeah. I went to London 2007, 2013, 2018. And like there were pubs I always wanted to go to, but how the hell do you find out where the Bishop's Mitre is in Auburn uh, <laughs> or whatever the hell it is? It's you need a map and you don't want to be that guy who's walking around with an actual folding city map. You're going to get mugged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Not if you're my size. Yeah. I walked through brick in a Hawaiian shirt. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, you don't want to look like that guy. So last time I got to, because I had Google maps, I was just walking through London, North of the river. I went to, uh, the Harp Covent Garden and the Jerusalem Tavern and the Bishop's Mitre and um, the, uh, what was it? The Artillery Arms, which is the Fuller's Pub over in Islington. And it was, it was wonderful. I mean, we, I sat there and I had like four pints of ESB with Adrian Tierney Jones, who's just a marvelous raconteur. And he's like a 62-year-old Welsh beer writer. I mean, can you imagine somebody who's who's basically blagged their entire way through life writing about beer and who's still somehow upright and moving? It's uh, it's just staggering. Wonderful day. Yeah. Um, I think that in terms of like the expensive one, the thing I want to do is Germany. Uh, because, you know, my dad gave me a book a couple of years ago, which is the family history. And it turns out that we're not really, you know, I always thought we were kind of French Huguenot because you have the last name St. John. And it turns out that that is not the case. We were from the Rhineland Palatinate about 300 years ago. And the last name is Songen. 
Um, so we're German Irish Palatinate. Uh, and as soon as you learn that, you're kind of like, well, let's go see the damn thing. You know, where, where are we from? And it turns out that we're vine dressers. So, I mean, essentially people who tend vineyards. Yeah, that's awesome. And like I looked up the last name and in the United States, when the German branch of the family moves there, they become maltsters. Uh, the Songans who go to Ireland, they have cideries in Limerick. So it's like the, the alcohol thing is, a, we come by it honestly, you know? So I, I want to go to Germany, not for Oktoberfest necessarily, but maybe the week after when the hotels are cheaper and the beer <laughs> is there, you know? Um, but I like the idea. I've actually been learning German on Duolingo. I'm uh, up to about 800 to 900 words in vocabulary. And the thing that I loved about it, I was looking at Frankfurt, because that's close to the town that our family was from, like a long-ass time ago. Um, and I was looking at the little craft breweries that they have in Frankfurt. And it turns out that you can learn all of the craft beer language that you need in, an, in another language. Because the, the bullshit stories that we tell ourselves about styles are exactly identical no matter what language they're translated into. So I'm looking at this bottle shop in Frankfurt online. I'm like, I, why can I read this? I understand all of this. And I realized it's because it's the story about steam beer. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, in San Francisco and during the gold rush. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. uh, it's not, it was really fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that. I, you know, I, I just like the idea that you go somewhere and you spend a couple of weeks and you don't really have a plan. I think that planning is uh, anathema to actually learning stuff. Like if you were to go to Brussels, for example, I was there for a day in 2018. Well, for like three or four days. You could listen to the cool kids. You could take all the advice online from the beer people about the things that are trendy. I mean, obviously you're going to go to Cantillon, but you don't necessarily have to go to Motor Lambic or whatever. Um, I want to go to the places that used to be cool, like Mort Sabi or um, I love the Cass, which is a Boone um, Lambic bar, and just soak in the ambiance. Like, it, I'm not necessarily at this point in my career interested in trying the most interesting thing. Like, I don't need the, the fastest roller coaster. The fact that there's a theme park is enough, you know? <laughs> No, that's that's awesome. Uh, you know, uh, I I don't know what brought it into my mind, but I want to go to South Africa for beer. Now, I know they banned alcohol, unfortunately, during COVID. So a lot of their uh, new breweries are probably going to unfortunately close. But uh, from the prices I'm seeing for four bucks Canadian, I could get a flight of 16 beers. Yeah, I mean, South Africa is an interesting choice. I was We had uh, Lucy Cook, I think it is. Uh, I think that's the last name. I hope I've got it right. She wrote the uh, the guide to South African beer. And she was over here because I believe her husband is Canadian. Mm -hmm. So they were visiting family. And she was she was lovely. She brought beer for us to try from South Africa. And uh, you know, I think the, the interesting hop varieties that they've got would be cool. But I think getting around, I think it's a bigger country than it looks like. Kind of like Canada. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean... I didn't realize there were complete prohibition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 alcohol and tobacco sale, like alcohol and tobacco are completely banned right now uh, during COVID in South Africa. Tobacco? Yep, yep. So. Presumably because it's like a lung disease, you know, with COVID? Yeah, I, I would assume so. But it's, uh, 
it's just reading about it and I'm hearing like some of these guys are adapting where it's like, oh, they're making hand sanitizer. They're making, a, 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 I can't remember the place. It's in the US. I think it's R.S. Taylor. Uh, they're in, I want to say Salem, uh, New York. And they're like, oh, they're, um, so they're doing mandals. So man candles and stuff like that. So they're, you know, these guys are trying to adapt and stuff uh, in South Africa by doing stuff that's not really beer. So the, the man candle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Mandel, I believe they called it. I can't remember the exact name, but I found it pretty funny. And I'm like, you know, we're trying to get past the just the broiness of craft or beer in general. So, oh, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not everybody should look like me who makes beer. So, oh, I'm, I'm totally on board with that one. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, it's very tribal. The, the beer, like the uniform. Like you go to Cascades in Toronto and there's a lot of people walking around in like skinny jeans with a black kind of members only jacket that ball cap and also a beard. And it's just like, oh guys, remember when you wanted to be interested interesting and different and you got into craft beer for that reason? Mm, it's not it's not no. like I resist the temptation to grow a beard because I'm just like, we don't need more of that. No, no, no offense. You're, no, uh, no, no. Well, this only actually started because I won a sports championship. And then uh, a couple of the women I work with are like, oh, you look better with a beard. I'm like, okay, well, since you lady said so. So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a uh, sports playoff thing with the pandemic. Uh, basically, I've been cutting my hair at home for 11 months. Yeah, I, I don't have to do I know, much. <laughs> I know I'm good with that. But the I don't know what to do with the top, so it's now eleven months long. <laughs> no, I, I I shave it every few weeks. Just it's been this way since I was nineteen, so that's uh, twenty three years now. I've been shaving my head. It's just more comfortable, especially during the summer. So oh sure yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I gotta say this is an awesome talk, and I really appreciate you taking time in your schedule today. I honestly have nothing else like I have to ask you today. Um, where do you outside of like where do you see the blog the, the podcast writing books like what do you what do you see what's next for yourself in, in the industry i really don't know i mean at this point i have a school i mean so that's you know there's some basic income there and i'm writing for magazines like i'm writing for the lcbo magazine periodically uh that's kind of nice i the answer is it's hard to predict if you would ask me where I was going to be 10 years ago, like if you'd asked me the same question, I know of no, well, there's no way you could predict this stuff. The idea that you would have uh, an online school that was thinking about going international. Um, apparently the, the people who run the program at George Brown are happy enough with it that they're thinking about offering the courses internationally. And that's just, first of all, don't tell me that 10 minutes before we're going to start filming for the day. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no big whoop. This is going to be live in front of a million people. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go cry in that corner right there. <laughs> I did actually go hit my head on a thing. Yeah. Like well. Goldberg, you know, just knocking himself yeah. out beforehand. Um, but, uh, you know, I you couldn't have predicted that that was going to happen. You couldn't predict that I'd be writing for the LCBO or that I'd be the editor for a, like the listings editor for a magazine. I mean, basically my attitude to this is you can't really plan um, because the, the variables involved are so weird. 
If there's one thing that this has taught me, uh, it is that, you know, there's no such thing as ignoble work. And a lot of the other people who write about beer for a living, or, you know, pretend to write about beer for a living, nobody actually makes a living writing about beer. That's not a thing. I think there's one guy in Canada who does it. It's probably Stephen Beaumont. Um, he writes, he's got like an international market. And he's got a book that's internationally sold. If you can break America, you're probably okay. But in Canada, like writing for magazines at this point is, you know, you need other gigs. So, you know, I tend to revel in the fact that I can do all these different things. One of the things I like doing, uh, like periodically I do a, just a real basic labor gig job where we're setting up weddings and stuff in an event space. And it's satisfying because you move these things to just over there and you set them up the way they, they want them. And, you know, at the end of the day, you've accomplished something. If you write like a blog about beer, you can put it on the website and you can never hear anything about it from anybody and you'll never know whether it did anything at all. The idea that you can move a molecule, you know, from here to here in chair form, <laughs> that's at least something. You had yeah. an impact on the universe that day. So it can be quite satisfying that way. Um, but I also, you know, I, I tend to like to do uh, government work when it's possible. Like, I think I'm probably going to try and manage a census district this year if they'll have me. I, you know, if there's one other thing that this has taught me, it's that good data results in better outcomes. So, like, you know, the fact that I have a map on the website means that I'm now the listings editor for a magazine. That's how that works. You show up and you see what happens. Yeah, that's great. And, and just you saying you're like you're you're data minded. I'm the same way. Where you know numbers. I'm I'm about numbers. I my job is literally paying pharmacies for very expensive medication that patients can't afford. I send pharmacies. Well, I don't personally, but I make sure the pharmacies get paid. So that's you know, uh, and I'm very data minded. Very, you know, I believe more in science than I do religion. That's my choice. Obviously, uh, religion is a huge factor for most people when it comes to stuff, but beer is science and i believe i believe in this right now so it's uh Absolutely. but yeah. the other the, the really cool thing about beer and it's something that we're coming around to uh probably at the end of covid you know we're not going to have as many bars a lot of them aren't going to survive mm -hmm. it's sad truth but it's truth and you know as i was researching the historical information for the beer course i teach i learned about this great tradition that kloster schenk German language, but I mean, the idea is very simple. You know, the early patron saints of brewing in Europe, they're people like Arnulf and Arnold, and they're from Ireland, and they bring with them this tradition of hospitality. The idea being that, you know, maybe you convert people to Christianity, but it's a lot easier to do that if they show up because they know there's going to be beer. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I, like, I, I, I watch people like the indigenous brew crew and Ren Navarro work at the market and they're, they're very earnest and they're very good at what they do and they're doing important work. But I think that, you know, a lot of this hinges on getting people slightly tipsy first and then talking them into it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, I mean, you change, yes, but uh, probably easier once you've lubricated them a touch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mentioned, you mentioned bars closing now. I read in your article that you believe the beer store. So the beer stores in Ontario for those, those who don't know are pretty much government run alcohol sales, uh, beer sales specifically. Okay. 
I have to, it, it's weird. I, uh, I have to completely explain this from scratch about twice a year. Uh, so don't feel bad. This is no, just right. what I do for <laughs> the beer store is, uh, it's founded in 1927, uh, more or less. It's a brewer's cooperative originally, so it's a really good idea. At the time you get through prohibition in Ontario, uh, you guys had prohibition in Quebec, but it lasted for like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we had 11 years of prohibition, and by the time you got to the end of it, there were like, you know, 20 regional brewers left, maybe 15. And they all kind of got together in a warehousing bin so that you could buy beer across the province. And they had stores added to that eventually. And the problem is that through uh, consolidation over time, you know, all those breweries get bought up by E.P. Taylor or maybe Molson or Labatt or whatever. And by 1989, you're down to uh, Molson, Labatt and Carling, which is owned by an Australian company. And eventually that folds into Molson. So the beer store is like a co-op that's owned by two breweries. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's nothing to do with the government, which is really weird. Um, but it's massively beneficial to them in the sense that they're in control of logistics. They have refrigerated uh, shipping. Mm -hmm. They've got 452 stores at last count. Um, but the thing is, like as the craft brewing movement continues to grow, they're less and less relevant. People don't like drinking beer out of bottles. They like cans. Uh, so that packaging shift is happening. Uh, obviously, the beer store is not doing what it's meant to do. It was, when it started, a really good idea. And if you could create a co-op of breweries that everybody owned a small piece of, I mean, eventually you'd get it consolidated again. It's just what would happen without like real stringent bylaws. But, you know, it's not up to the task in its current format. You can't, in order to be on shelves there, you have to buy in. I think it's, uh, I don't know how much it is for the entire chain, but the initial purchase might be a couple thousand dollars for each brand. And that's prohibitive for a small brewery. I mean, it's mm -hmm. real. They changed it a while back so that they get like seven free listings in the stores closest to them. But that doesn't really help people because, you know, uh, they don't make as much money if you're not selling directly at the front door. Yeah. So, you know, over time, what's ended up happening is the beer store is less and less successful. Uh, in 2015, in Ontario, they had a thing called the Master Framework Agreement. And the idea is that beer is now going to be allowed in 450 grocery stores. How did they come up with 450 as a number? <laughs> well, it's the same number as there are beer stores. So it's a shot across the bow right from the beginning. It's the Ontario government basically telling the beer store they got about a decade to get their stuff together. Um, and they're going to have to spend $100 million on fixing up the beer store locations so they no longer smell like 1970s pub. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so they did that. But in order to do it, like, they've had to sell off capital. So some of the land that they owned and some of the buildings that they owned got sold. And that means they're having to lease locations which means that the operating costs of the beer store continue to increase over time. So it's becoming less and less profitable for most of them bad. And my feeling is that at some point, there's a tipping point where it's no longer uh, as good a deal as just selling beer through grocery and convenience stores. And I don't know where that is, but I've always looked at 2025 as the year that that kind of kicks in. 
are there chains from Alberta that are looking into maybe being in Ontario? I know that they're actually advising Doug Ford on policy, which is a real bad sign. Currently, <laughs> you got like little tiny bottle shops as a sort of loophole for the pandemic, and they're doing really well. I mean, they got the ability to curate product, which is something we've never had before. Mm-hmm. Like the LPDO, they do a very good job in the sense that they're trying to make it equitable and bring more people to market. But, you know, they're not really allowed to choose a huge number of products from each brewer. So the things that you want are not necessarily going to be on shelves. So the idea of independent bottle shops is great. We're kind of pushing that. And I think that speeds up the beer store's decline because, you know, once that's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. Yeah. Especially with home delivery, especially with mail. Uh, at some point, probably before the next provincial election, they're going to have to address that. Oh, when uh, they do, fireworks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as a Quebecer, you know, um, we do have bottle shops, thankfully. My closest beer store is a hop, skip, and a jump. It's like a 30-minute walk. Uh, you mentioned McCausland when you visit Montreal. That is a, literally a 45-minute walk from my house. Uh, one of the biggest te- or patio, I keep saying terrasse because I'm a Quebecer, um, one of the biggest terraces in Quebec. It's like a football field. It's fantastic. So uh, when you hit there, but what mainly Quebecers do, especially those who live close to Ontario. So let's say Montreal, maybe a little bit of the Eastern townships. uh, We go over onto Ontario because we don't have deposits for wine, hard liquor, and even some uh, beer bottles, uh, beer cans don't, don't have like a deposit. So I just return them there. Do you think that beer stores will just kind of focus as like a return exchange place or will they just kind of completely die out? You're worried about the, uh, the 10 cents a can. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, one of the, th- the issues that you have is with the cost of living being what it is in Toronto and with people living in condominiums, um, you know, you've seen the shift in packaging over the years between bottles and cans in the beer store. I think at this point, especially given uh, the fact that the beer store was closed down for two months for bottle return uh, in April and May. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the bottles are looking less and less attractive to the big guys. Molson, they put together a aluminum can processing plant in Colorado. I think they're up to 750 million units a year. So it's going to be more cans. They're probably going to get to like 80 cans, 20 bottles, not too long from now two years maybe and at that point i mean the recycle deposit program that we have i don't know what happens to it if it's not i mean the industry standard bottles the screw tops you know 341 they are uh usable like 15 16 times i think so if you're not using those anymore and there's no reason to have the bottle float out there existing so that the big brewers can use it. Do they care about the recycling? If they don't care about the recycling, maybe that's the tipping point. I don't know. Um, With the cans, I mean, yes, you do pay a deposit on them, but the cost of living in Toronto is so high that the 10 cents a can doesn't even matter to anybody. They just kind of put them in the recycling in the building. I know that I separate mine out and I leave them uh, in a tray because the super of the building has explained to me that there is a guy who comes around and collects them. And if you separate out the ones with the deposit, uh, the guy will take them away and make some money off of it. Yeah, that's nice to hear. I, I know the uh, they're called the Southern Ontario Beer Boys. I don't know if you've dealt with them before. 
not offhand. No. Okay, so they're um, they do a bunch of charitable foundation, and they actually do can collections. So uh, you know, for the first two three months, it was like we're not collecting, but leave your cans in your garages or or your storage area, whatever, and we'll come and get them. So, and these guys return them and then they donate money to the, I want to say McMaster's Children's Hospital. Yeah. So that's uh, a good one. There's also a, an organization called Cans for Change mm-hmm. who are just uh, sassing on Instagram. Uh, they're basically in support of like black students at Durham College. They're sort of in the Oshawa Durham region. I like that as well. I mean, you know, the idea that you can take this deposit money and do something useful with it, that's good. But I mean, I kind of wonder what happens, you know, if you get rid of the uh, beer store version of it and you have a publicly owned one, maybe something that the government puts into place, maybe you have a privately owned one, um, probably they jack up the deposit, wouldn't you think? Yeah, well, I know our tall cans here are 20 cents in Quebec. Uh, small cans are five cents, uh, bottles are a variety because, uh, they're called Emporium. They're, they're pretty new too. They had like a real fancy engraved bottle and it was like a $2 deposit. So, um, but me personally, I just return them because I'm like, Oh, I'm going to buy more beer. Uh, I do like what the Southern Ontario beer boys are doing. So I am trying to start my own conglomeration with all beer inside some friends where we're going to start collecting and returning and donating money and and starting things for for charities as well ourselves because we're at that age where maybe it's time to to do that kind of stuff instead of just selfishly drinking and returning it for my own financial needs so well sure i mean you know one of the problems i have is that i have nowhere to store stuff yeah yeah i'm, so I'm you know I, I end up getting sent beer for review purposes so you you're drinking like four ounces sometimes and pouring out the rest of the bottle and yeah. then there's like three other bottles that you have to do something with so, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I should probably call these people more frequently now that I think about it. Yeah. Also, property in Montreal is a whole lot cheaper than it is in Toronto right now. So, that's that's one thing. Periodically, I look at one bedroom apartments in Montreal and think to myself, "Man, I really should have paid attention in French class." <laughs> I'm not flu. I'm not 100% bilingual. I'm bilingual enough to get along with my job, thankfully. So, um, but when I do go out, because it is Montreal and is very bilingual i can go to a bottle shop or a brewery and be like okay it's those 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 today okay here's what it costs because they know like especially downtown montreal with the when it's good for people to visit a lot of people speak english here so oh absolutely yeah i always thought it really uh i tell the american tourists on there on the walking tour you know if you're an american you speak english don't even bother trying to speak french they'll think you're wasting their time uh, yeah, well, I've been told that Quebecers who try and speak French in Paris are told to speak English, but that's that's what I've heard. So, well, I, I figure if you roll up to somebody in Montreal talking like this and you say, uh, "Excuse me, you tell me the way," they'll probably <laughs> like they're, they're, they're okay. Ah, uh, fantastic, awesome. Uh, yeah, like uh, I said before, and then I apparently lied. I actually do have nothing else to ask you today. Uh, once again, really appreciate your time. Uh, I've already told you when this is coming out, so let the people know uh, if anything's coming up or where they can find you. Oh, well, the uh, George Brown uh, beer courses are online. I think for the most part, they are Ontario specific just for now. While we try to figure out what the hell we're going to do for online international beers choices, that odd problem to have. 
uh, especially during a pandemic. That's my life. So uh, <laughs> constantly thinking about what English breweries might export where. <sighs> Just a very tired man drinking heavily. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, the website, your, your Instagram or Twitter or anything like that too? Oh, uh, the Instagram is jordan.stjohn. And uh, the Twitter is uh, saints underscore gambit. I really liked Leslie Charteris novels when I was younger. That's why. Um, yeah, no, and uh, the blog is stjohnsworth.ca. Uh, not enough pictures. Going to try and work on putting in more pictures. <laughs> Sounds good. So we're going to add all that in the show notes. Uh, as for us, it's at All Beer Inside everywhere. Allbeerinside.com is the website. Uh, we're having a problem with it right now. You could go there, but you can't click on the links. It's really, really weird. Uh, YouTube channel is allbeerinside.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe and hit the notification bell. Episodes come out every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. And as I say in the end of all episodes, drink craft, not crap. Awesome. Thank you very much once again. I uh, really appreciate you taking your time today. Hey, no problem.